welcome to Bookphoria Podcast, the place for people who just love to read across genres, subjects, and themes. I'm here to talk to you about what I'm reading, and I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome, Bookphoria listeners, to the newest book review of City of Stairs by Robert Jackson Bennett. You ever hear the advice to never trust anyone with three first names? Well, I think you can safely put that to rest with this book. This series called The Divine Cities Trilogy. This is book one, and damn, what a start. Let me see if I can figure out how to explain the setting. Um, It's somewhat complex with the historical background, but it's not like super crazy. It's not ungraspable. But essentially, for a long time, there was one country they call it the continent that basically had gods like actual gods and they blessed their people and their people had basically a cushy life they didn't get diseases they had miracles happen on the regular they didn't have to develop technology or anything else as a result and they thought they were they were so great they were so full of themselves they decided to basically conquer the world because nobody else had gods only them And along came this, um, let's say, revolutionary. And he came and free, came from this country called Saipur. Uh, The people there called Saipuris. And these Saipuris, they basically rose up with this revolutionary and slayed the gods. So this story takes place after that. There's this amazing oppressor colonizer dynamic that goes on in this. And I think it's so refreshing because it doesn't just happen in one direction where some people are the known kind of victims and other people are the known oppressors. It's really a switch, right? Because in the beginning, the Continentals were, they basically took the other countries as slaves. They brutalized them and they did horrible things and treated them as subhumans because they were not, quote unquote, children of the gods. But when the revolution happened, and this is where we're reading, by the way, We're reading at a time when this was about 100 years or something like that, maybe 200 years in the history. So we have like generations that no longer remember what this was like. And all they know is that they are now oppressed, that the Saipuris, out of anger from being enslaved for many years, rose up and now basically grind them, the Continentals, into the ground. They treat them like garbage. They give them no support. And because... They were relying on miracles. They're backed up on science and technology by decades and decades because they never had to rely on that. So they're really living in squalor, poverty, and they really don't have much. I enjoy this immediately because we as the readers, we know this and we kind of see this as an objective third party, right? And we kind of see the ridiculousness or perhaps that's not quite the right word, but the idea that this, this concept of oppressor-oppressee is so flimsy. It happens to do with who happens to have power, who's angrier, who treats who. It's really not about justice ever, right? Because the Saipuris, they use their own oppression as a rallying cry to oppress the others. And I thought this was so ingenious by the author to kind of use this, not only because it kind of throws a wrench in that that whole trope, but also it's very human, isn't it? When we get treated poorly for so long and long enough, we really just want to treat the other person poorly back. And this is reflected on a societal scale here. So I think that's a really beautiful thing that he did as just one of the many things he did in the setting. Another very interesting thing he does 
is really fleshing out these cultures. There's the Saipuri, as I said, with their tea culture. They're like smaller people, more intelligent, hardworking. There's the Continentals who are very proud of their, their, you know, to be themselves, although now they're a little bit, you know, ground down, but they really have this pride of being the people chosen by the gods. And then there's this culture called the Drelings. Uh, they are basically, sounds like Norsemen, uh, who are just savages. And there's this one character, Sigrid, who is one of the most badass characters I ever met. If anyone has seen the Venture Brothers, he's kind of like a Brock Samson. And he even pulls a Brock Samson at some point in the book and gets completely naked to fight a monster. And I'm just kind of like, what is going on here? I don't even know, but I fucking love it. That's all I know. The characters uh, are so well done, I think. And I'm kind of surprised. It, it might seem strange to say this as a male talking about female characters, but I think the author really made well done female characters. They were not two-dimensional. They were not uh, tropes. They were not just there to help the men. In fact, the main characters, first one being Shara or Ashara, was such a powerful individual, but not in the traditional way at all. She She's like wise. She's intelligent. She's cunning. She's brave and courageous and so many other superlatives. And alongside her is this character Sigrid, who's this badass dude. And so they create this great dynamic that I kind of love of this brains and brawn thing going on. But it's not lame at all they they really make it work in the book because it's not reliant on that trope it's more of a, a vehicle in a lot of ways to explore their relationship and joining this cast there's many others including something i thought was incredibly well done i was kind of blown away that this dude could dude being the author could actually put so much into a single book in terms of themes and it really made me like wonder why is this book not more popular because they have this whole idea of of gods and without spoiling anything, it really makes you question like, you know, how do we create our gods in our world, not the book world? Like, how do we consider them? How do we choose to worship them? And how is that more reflective of us than them? And this goes all the way to the point of, you know, classic religious trope of hating, you know, gay people, essentially. And so one of the characters is gay and he grows up in this, you know, religious household, very relatable, right? Where you kind of see what it's like to internalize that kind of hatred and confusion and having to hide it and, and, and trying to fight it and see what you can do. And then seeing him grow up in a post-God world where really there isn't anything to hold him to these values that were constricting him for so long, but there's still a cultural stigma around it. And so to see what that plays out like, it's kind of amazing. He could just throw that in there and integrate it into the story in such a powerful way because it's not irrelevant to the story. It's not just his own personal character development, but it's also very related to who he is as a person and how he impacts the plot. Now, I don't want to go too far because, again, this is only setting-based spoilers, no plot-based spoilers. During some of these scenes with, you know, action sequences, really great fantasy characters, creatures, etc. It's also used as a vehicle to expand the characters and understanding them. 
And I feel like, wow, what a skillful move to use these moments of climax and tension and action sequences and merge them with these emotional sequences. I thought that was such a highlight we get to, we, you know, we got to have as the reader to not only see this badass scene happen and, and like flip page by page wondering, oh my God, what's going to happen next? But also seeing their relationship unfold through their, you know, interspersed flashbacks. And I just was kind of blown away. This author is pretty awesome at what he does with his exposition of characters in particular. Yeah, something I found very noteworthy, especially someone who has trouble sometimes constructing characters and trying to understand how do you how do you flesh them out slowly without overly exposing them into just, you know, I'm going to write a paragraph about who they are. So this was very well done. In regard to the negatives about this book, I, I got to tell you, I'm grasping a little bit. I mean, I really can't think of anything I truly didn't like about the book. There was definitely some spots where I would have liked a bit more romance uh, somewhere in, in there or a bit more like sappy moments between characters but it wasn't necessarily a detriment that they weren't there the, the book still ran well it was still an action sequence I think it could just be my own conditioning around needing to have some kind of romance in an action plot right like you always want someone to be couple up at by the end of it or you know realize like oh man I want to kiss this person and then they finish it with the kiss but even beyond that I, I was kind of looking forward to some kind of familial bond being expressed and you know without giving away the ending that happened to some degree but not to the degree that I truly wanted it to happen so maybe that's just like a personal gripe as opposed to something that was bad with the book yeah, it's much easier to just talk about the original stuff about this book. So going on to the third section, it's really easy to see what the original portion or the interesting portion was about this book. Although I have read this kind of God's Walking Among Us type thing before with Jacqueline Carey series, which I love, by the way. I cannot wait to do a review on those, aka just a pure gush session on Jacqueline Carey and Kushiel's dart and Namaz, everything and whatever. I will gush about those all day, but I digress. This idea of what would happen if gods not only existed like tangentially and kind of were there and around, but what if they actively intervened? Like you wanted a miracle, you prayed and bam, you got a miracle because that's kind of what happened. And the interesting thing is th these weren't just like our Christian type conception of God. It was like our Norse conception and the Greek conception where like Zeus would come down, transform into a swan and bang your wife. So like it was funny in a lot of ways and sickening in a lot of ways and just chaotic. Basically it was chaotic because you have these beings that are incredibly powerful. They are narcissistic because they love to be worshiped of course, and they can just do whatever they want. And of course they have certain values that they hold to themselves you know, as they are personified, for example, there's a trickster god who values classical trickster things like playing pranks on people, destroying expectations, making fun and being merry, but also being vindictive and tricking someone in horrible ways. Like, I think one of the things that stuck with me because it was pretty funny, I actually laughed out loud when I read it, was that the trickster god, one of his things he enjoyed doing was just impregnating males just because he could. And it's just like a funny thing for him. Imagine it's like, oh, this guy never thought he'd be pregnant. Surprise, you're pregnant now. So I remember just like laughing at that. But that's such a trickster God thing to do, right? And it's 
very much in line with like Norse mythology and Loki or Greek mythology and various gods in that nature. But what was really cool about this whole gods walking among us theme is basically the idea of what happens culturally. That is what is cool because even Jacqueline Carey in all her greatness, may she be praised, doesn't super address what happens when you actually have gods, I guess because the whole continent had gods to some degree. Um, but it, there's an imbalance in cultural power when one country has gods and another doesn't. And especially when the miracles are so in your face and obvious and apparent, you kind of have to wonder what would happen if one country had all that power, they can have anything they want. What would they do to the surrounding countries that had to just, you know, scrape by with their own ingenuity and being human? Because for a long time, everybody was pretty much okay. Um, there was no war. They were just satisfied to be with themselves. But then at some point, there was that human trait of hubris, of narcissism, of being, you know, of a mind that you are better than other people. And then feeling that that entitles you to treat others in a lesser way. And interspersed among all of that are the teachings of certain gods, which are kind of beautiful, like Olvos in particular, which is a god, goddess, sorry, of compassion, I would say. I couldn't even tell you precisely what she's a goddess of. I know she is like the hearth fire on a cold night. So that vibe, I guess, is who she is, right? So it's such a very lovely experiential way to consider a god's values. But she has these beautiful sayings and her monks have these beautiful sayings around, you know, in order to become a butterfly, you must first die as a caterpillar. You cannot hold on to caterpillarness and become a butterfly at the same time. You have to let go of one to transform into the other. And so in a lot of ways, she really represents the wisdom of divinity. But we must remember, this is an author writing about this goddess. And so he is basically getting this wisdom from himself, which is always something I have been particularly amazed by when reading books and stopping to consider like, oh, this person, this, this author wrote this. It wasn't actually this wise sage in this fantasy story. The sage was the author. And so it's amazing to me to think that, you know, some of these authors, I, I don't think they phone it in. I think they really have these experiences where they believe this, where they really think or have experienced a moment where perhaps they realize they have to let go of who they were to step into who they were becoming. And it's that ability to transform your life experiences and put it into this wonderful novel that really makes an author great. And I think it's clear that Robert Jackson Bennett is a great author, and I really look forward to reading the second one. But I think I'm going to nestle them in between reading you and the next one, which I think is called City of Blades. So look forward to reporting next time. And in the future, happy reading, folks.